Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. On this podcast, we share stories and conversations around spiritual care, companionship, and contemplative practice across a diverse range of traditions and experiences. Spiritual companions support others on their spiritual journeys through life. Spiritual companions are welcoming and present with those they companion, listening and responding without judgment. And spiritual companions are contemplative and honor silence as a spiritual practice. You can learn more about our work at our website, sdiworld.org. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. Do you or the people you companion long for relationships that are based not only on mutual respect, but also mutual reverence? Do you or those you companion ever find it difficult to navigate issues of gender and sexuality within your religious or spiritual traditions? And are you or those you companion uncertain of how to be in relationship with women and or men since the Me Too movement began? If you answer yes to any of these questions, you will appreciate the dialogue we have in this podcast conversation with Will Keepin and Cynthia Bricks as they discuss the workshops they lead on gender equity and reconciliation, which they will be offering as a one-day intensive on April 22nd, 2020 in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is the day before our conference on spiritual companionship for our times. Frederica Helmier and I had an amazing conversation over web conferencing software with Cynthia and Will, two leaders in the inner spiritual movement and in spiritual healing. Cynthia and Will are co-founders of the Gender Equity and Reconciliation International Institute, which has conducted 120 trainings in nine countries. Here's how they describe their one-day intensive workshop for our upcoming conference. Spiritual companions of all ages and faiths routinely encounter gender injustice, and in particular, significant challenges between women and men in their practices. The Me Too movement has increased awareness of gender conflicts, sexual harassment and exploitation, and patriarchal oppression. But how can these naughty challenges be addressed in practical terms? This workshop introduces Gender Equity and Reconciliation International, or GERI, which has developed an innovative methodology for healing and reconciliation between women and men, Inspiring examples of remarkable healing and reconciliation between the sexes will be presented from Jerry's application in Christian, Buddhist, and Hindu communities. Experiential exercises are included to give participants a first-hand taste of this transformative process. Uh, well, Will and Cynthia, thank you for, for joining us today. Maybe you could begin by telling us a little bit about your work. Uh, with Jerry and with Dawn of Inner Spirituality. Yeah, this may be the basic framework for the types of things that you do. 
Yeah, I'd be happy to begin. Um, the, we have a nonprofit institute named Sachana Institute, and we have two program areas, one being the Gender Equity and Reconciliation International Program. And that's um, creating a safe forum to bring people who identify as male and female primarily of all sexual orientations together to um, uh, talk about, share about their um, challenges and, and um, whatever stories they have from their life around gender and gender oppression and sexuality. And we do it without shame or blame. Um, we do it with compassion and um, loving insight and loving wisdom and come into a place of really um, holding each other and listening deeply to each other's stories and being able to um, hear each other at a level that brings us not only into maybe more equal rights, um, but really higher reverence of one another. You want to speak about the dawn of inner spirituality, Will? Yeah, so the, that's, the other project we have is called Dawn of Inner Spirituality, and it really works to bridge the contemplative and mystical dimensions of the major religions of the world. Because, as we know, the, the diverse, diversity in religions is primarily in their outer forms, the theologies, the liturgies, the very temples and buildings. But the kernel, the essence of the different traditions really meet as one in the heart of silence and in the transcendent unity consciousness or divine consciousness which unites all hearts and all spiritual traditions. So um, we've been uh, mentored by Father Thomas Keating along with a number of our colleagues who also were mentored by him, um, including Wayne's Teasdale. They were quite close. and. Wayne Teasdale wrote that book, The Mystic Heart, which kind of coined the term interspirituality. Um, and, you know, what Thomas Keating did was for 32 years, he brought together a group of diverse religious leaders in what was called the Snow Mass Conference, which went on for like, yeah, 32 years. And what they discovered very briefly, at first they discovered to their great delight that uh, there were certain principles in common held across the traditions. And it's really because if we go within the depths of our own being, we discover ultimate realities or truths which go by different names across the tradition and, and essentially we merge into that oneness which transcends our separate selfhood, uh, annihilates it actually, and transcends the different religious traditions, whether theistic or non-theistic. So there is this discovery, this experiential emergence into that oneness that happens for the individual mystic as they go into the depths of meditative contemplative practice. And in that same space, they then become one with one another. And so we see this as an important vehicle for bringing the religions together by uniting the contemplatives where they can come into that inner experience together. And that's what Thomas Keating and his people discovered in this 30-year experiment. And, and then, one more piece about that, having discovered this unitive ground of the traditions, they then began to explore their differences. Their religious differences, the contradictions, the different theologies, all of that. And they did so gingerly because they thought, you know, this could lead to conflict and division like we see so much of in the world. 
But instead, what they discovered to their immense delight was that they bonded even more over their differences than they had over their common ground because they, the, the di religious differences turned out to be such a rich source of inquiry and mutual learning and fascinating uh, you know, mutual inquiry. So it actually bonded them even more. And so what we feel is that what they went through in that experience as a group of maybe 130 religious leaders over 30 years now needs to be replicated in a larger scale across the globe to really unite the religions of humanity because, you know, basically the division in religion is a betrayal of spirituality. And so we're really working to heal those divisions in a very similar way that we do in the Jerry work, the Gender Equity and Reconciliation, which is the acronym that we call Jerry. And in that work, we're also bridging the human-made divisions according to gender. So all of these are human-made divisions that the mind has created, but that the heart can heal and unite. That's beautiful. I am really curious. You're, you shared a little bit about attending the Snow Mass conferences and uh, connecting to the work of inner spirituality through that. What is your personal story that brought you to forming the Jerry Institute, or what was was there a primary motivation around around that work? That what what is that primary motivation that that drew you to forming this this institute and doing these workshops? Well, um, I'm a scientist by training. I was a climate scientist and activist for almost thirty years. So um, in, in the course of that, back in the 80s and 90s, <clears throat> I was basically working on policies and technologies to mitigate global warming through energy conservation, renewable energy, those kinds of things, battling with the fossil fuel industry and the nuclear industry. And in the course of that, what we discovered was that in our own environmental movement, there was considerable sexual harassment taking place. Pretty classic, actually, what has been recently so revealed in the Me Too movement, where there were senior male leadership preying upon younger female co-workers. That was one of the major dynamics. And true to form, it was all hidden, hidden completely, couldn't be talked about, and creating a lot of pain. Um, and so a group of us in 1992 began to convene events. So we called them Gender and Ecology, and the byline was, are there parallels between exploitation of the earth and exploitation of the feminine? And uh, of course there were right in the, the heart of our so-called environmental movement. So here we were working to heal our relationship with the natural environment of the earth, but we had a kind of psychological pollution that was basically toxic in our human ecology environment right in the center of the movement. So that's how it got started. And honestly, there was never any intent for it to go beyond a particular need within our professional community. We started organizing workshops. We didn't really know what we were doing, so we found out quickly that there was a very volatile intensity to this work, as you can imagine. And so we kind of had to go back to the drawing board early on and start exploring how are we going to develop this uh, work? How can we skillfully work with these energies and issues within our own community? And we tried lots of things over the years and stepped into a lot of potholes 
um, but over time developed ways of working uh, more skillfully with these things and integrated lots of different modalities that really helped us. So that by the mid 90s and late 90s, we had developed a methodology that was really beginning to work. And we were very inspired by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that Desmond Tutu had led in South Africa. So we realized we need something like that with gender. We need gender reconciliation. So that's what we called it. Uh, it's essentially a gender truth and reconciliation type of work. And never knowing that years later, we'd actually meet Desmond Tutu, which was kind of amazing um, in terms of this work, because we did get invited to South Africa in the early 2000s and to India, which took us into another whole realm. And those two countries are actually kind of vying for the unholy honor of being the rape capital mm -hmm. of the world. So the, what goes down in those countries is just unbelievable. And so we began doing this work in this context of, of really violent uh, sexual violence. But as we all know, that also takes place in, in our Western countries with uh, you know, hideous frequency as well. So we began to see that the parallels across these countries um, are, are astounding with the depth of pain that is going down in relation to gender-based violence and gender oppression. And of course, the Me Too movement has finally really lifted the veil on that in a very significant way. But prior to that, we were working, you know, we've been doing this for 28 years now, and we were working with a lot of unawareness in the mainstream societies. People in the West would think, well, yeah, you're dealing with that in India and South Africa, good for you, where they have those problems. But here, you know, we're pretty much kind of beyond that in many ways. And now there's a recognition that no, there's actually a huge transformation that needs to, needs to take place in our own cultural environment. I'd, I'd just add that um, Will founded this organization, um, Satyana Institute, which Gender Equity and Reconciliation International is a program of. Um, he founded it 28 years ago, as he said. I joined about 20 years ago. And um, I came because my mother came to a program and she was kind of blown away. She came home and she said to my brother and my sister-in-law and me, um, I wanna gift you by sending you to this program and for everything I messed up in your life, this work will heal you. <laughs> Great gift from a mom, huh? <laughs> yeah, and it took me about five years to get to a program. You know, I'd sign up or whatever, and then the program would get postponed or I would have things come up. It just didn't work. But then all of a sudden it worked and I went, it was actually in New Mexico where we're going to be soon with the uh, spiritual directors international. It was at ghost ranch North of Santa Fe. And um, it was a five day program. And I went and I had a profound experience. And then one month after that workshop, I was sexually um, uh, propositioned by my boss in the company I was working for. He was the CEO of the company, founder of the company, and he said at a business dinner meeting, Cynthia, I've enjoyed getting to know you. Now I'd like to take our relationship to a deeper, more intimate sexual level. I said no. I was a single mom of a, ch of a little child girl, and, and uh, my son was already out of the house, but 
I was like, this is my life. This was what I, my career was my vocation at that time in health and wellness. And this man is world renowned in the health and wellness field. And I said, no, but he kept pressuring me. And I find I had to find a way to bring this forward, which I felt like I could at that time because I had family support and everything if I lost my job. Um, to bring it forward in the most compassionate way I could, but to name what was happening. And so I did that. And he apologized um, and asked what he could do to correct it. Um, but the corporation hired six attorneys to, uh, because they were so threatened by just my presence. And they pushed me out of that organization. Um, and when I left, I didn't trust men. I didn't like men. I didn't want to be around men. But I also didn't trust women because the women in the corporation had also um, uh, betrayed me. They had to to keep their jobs. And so um, I left just with a lack of, of any kind of hope, I would say. And it took me quite a bit of therapy and spiritual direction to come back into a place of finding my center um, as I spoke truth to power, if you will, but also I was pushed out and I was pretty lost. And through that kind of spiritual uh, crisis, I came into a deeper, more um, over time, it took about a year, but I came into a, a deeper understanding of what was going on. I found a way to come into a place of compassion even for the, the men that were involved in this, uh, that they're part of the system. And it led me into this work at an even deeper level to realize that the healing I had experienced through the trauma I went through um, led me into bringing this work more fully with other people. And so it, it was a real transformative experience overall. Thank you both for sharing uh, how some of these, uh, well, just for being vulnerable and uh, for sharing examples of how these darknesses that you've had to face have become springboards for, for continued work and for continued healing, not just in your own lives, but in, in a broader cultural context too. I think that's really helpful for me to hear and for many to hear. And the, before we move on to another question, I just want to add something here that's really important, I think. I, since being in this work for 20 years now, um, sometimes we're with women, with women's groups and men with men's groups, and they're fearful of coming together. The, you know, they say, we like being with the women or we like being with the men, and we've got a lot of fear. And over the 20 years, after having come through that sexual ha harassment and healed and come in, came into this transformative place, if you will, I work with the most amazing men and women. And I cannot imagine it being different. Um, and now maybe I'm in a little bubble, but that little bubble is what we're trying to expand out into the greater world and saying this is possible. And, and in, our, in our communities, we call ourselves community of practitioners or a community of practice in the gender equity and reconciliation work worldwide. 
we're really aspiring to be in those right relationships and not have any fear or doubt or uh, skepticism, if you will, about the possibility of what is possible in those right relationships with one another. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear how that has, how those relationships have flourished for you both. I would like to zoom in to Santa Fe and talk about the offerings, these offerings that you're going to bring uh, to the conference. Yeah, uh, Will and Cynthia, it sounds like the work that you've done is um, has depth and has a lot of complexity to it, and it, it sounds like you spend a lot of time walking groups of people through uh, your learning and um, applying it in different ways. And so obviously we're gathering together folks who identify as spiritual companions. Can you share a little bit about uh, what you plan to do with a, a room full of spiritual companions for a day around gender and around companionship and spirituality? Yes, so we will basically enter into a kind of alchemical temenos, if you will. You know, temenos means like a spiritual container. Um, we will create um, that container in the early part of the day. And then we basically create an invitation for people to bring forth some of their own experiences um, of gender dysfunction or wounding in some way. Um, we, we, there's never any compulsion. Everything is by invitation and it's very gently designed. So we, we don't rush in. People choose their level of participation. And um, as Cynthia mentioned, many of our events are three days and five day intensives. This is a one day. So it will be um, a, an experience of the work. Uh, it'll still have all the elements of the work. Um, but it's a one-day version, and, and so it gives people a really deep, kind of intimate taste of the work that we do. And then we move through that to uh, discovering a mutual harmony, a mutual unity that comes out of that shared truth-telling. You know, um, as Jesus says, the truth shall set you free, and we move into that. But as he says in, in the Gospel of Thomas, you know, you also go, you, you will be astir disturbed and then astonished. Mm. Um, so the, tr the process of the truth setting you free leads you to a certain disturbance and then to an astonishment. And there's a whole kind of alchemical transmutation that takes place. And we have seen this consistently in our work across 30, you know, almost 30 years now. And, and the last thing I'll say is that we also will tie in the gender issues and dynamics to the spiritual dimension of the human psyche, because this is really important. You know, in the um, Gnostic Gospel of Philip, one of the Gospels that was discovered in Nag Hammadi in 1945, one of the non-canonical Gospels, it says in there um, that the separation of man and woman uh, was the beginning of death in a certain sense. Of course, that's usually symbolized by Adam and Eve, but it has a deeper meaning. And it really is the separation of what never should have been separated. And it also says in there that unless, that, that Christ came to heal this wound, which is quite an amazing thing. So quite Christ came to heal the patriarchy, the wound of patriarchy. 
And it says that unless we connect to a power that is both masculine and feminine, we do not discover our true freedom. Um, this is from a gospel written in the first century AD, probably. Mm -hmm. um, really remarkable. And we find similar uh, teachings, of course, in the, in the tantric traditions of the Eastern, you know, Buddhist and Hindu traditions, that across the esoteric traditions of, of the spiritual, religious, or, you know, the religions, we find in their esoteric traditions, we find this profound recognition that bridging and healing between the masculine and the feminine, between those different aspects of our consciousness and of our divinity is central to achieving full spiritual awakeness and liberation. And so we really feel very strongly that this is a vehicle for spiritual awakening and that the, the work of gender diversity leads us to the unity consciousness that is spoken of um, in the religions. Wow. Did you know that SDI organizes travel experiences? We call these SDI journeys. SDI has been leading passionate travelers on spiritual journeys around the world for over 25 years. Not just vacations, but truly exceptional trips filled with inspiring and enriching experiences. We have upcoming journeys planned for 2020 in Iona, Scotland, and an Ignatian journey through Spain. Explore our site to find out more, sdijourneys.org. That's sdijourneys.org. And now, here's part two of our conversation. Well, I was going to share, I remember taking a, a Hebrew scriptures course in Div school and learning about one particular interpretation of the, the verse in Genesis that describes God making them male and female and exploring that preposition and making the case that that preposition could be more accurately interpreted as male to female. And that right there in the very beginnings, the possibility of a spectrum rather than a binary. Right. And I'm, and I'm really, really interested in um, all of the various ways in which we have these binary constructs that we walk around with, that we've inherited and internalized, and how they break down in so many different ways. And, and, I, and now I'm listening to you speak, I'm finding myself wondering if you began to notice any similarities in um, the work you do around the world with different spiritual traditions and religious traditions and perhaps indigenous traditions. Are there, um, are there spectrums that we can construct or identify between what we normally think of as these nodes of the major world religions that may in fact not be so distinct but are in fact these sort of blurred spectrums where there's fluidity between what we think of as these dominant hegemonic world religious traditions mm. beautiful question yeah yeah fantastic question um i think in practice they're definitely so um you know in india they have certain transgendered uh, roles that some people play uh, that aren't where they're really not masculine or feminine. They're sort of in, a, in another realm. I think we see third and fourth genders and some of that blurring um, in the kind of orthodox religions. I don't so much see the blurring, but there is where there's a whole spectrum recognized. 
But there is definitely the recognition that each one of us contains the fullness of that androgyny within us. That's very strong and clearly articulated. And that part of Genesis that you referred to, chapter 1, 26, 7, where it basically says, God says, let us create humanity in our image after our likeness, using the plural pronoun, and then says, so God created them male and female. But those male and female are, as you say, the poles of a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And the male and female is really male and female togetherness. That's the nature of God, as you said in the Hebrew. And so there is that inherent recognition of a spectrum right there at the very beginning of the Bible, which is very profound. It gets lost very quickly. But um, that also has led to a, a clear recognition among deep mystics that God truly is half female. There's a whole female polarity of God that's just as strong as the male polarity. And the spectrum, of course, is between. And so that leads to what's called the Sophianic Trinity, which is instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's Mother, God the Mother, Holy Soul, which is the Shekhinah in the New Testament, uh, in the Old, you know, in the Torah. And Sophia, which is the only begotten daughter of the Divine Mother. And so Sophia incarnated as Mary, and Christ incarnated as Jesus. And there's a complete gender parallel, completely symmetric, between the Holy Trinity and the Sophianic Trinity. And you put them together, and what do you get? The Star of David. Oh, oh nice. Which is essentially the heart of the Kabbalah. And it's also in Hinduism called the Shaktona which is the communion of the masculine and feminine, which is, has the exact same symbol. The masculine represented as a triangle with a point at the top and the feminine triangle with a point at the bottom, and that gives rise to the Sri Yantra. So we see this mystical communion of the genders. And I think the Sri Yantra itself with these, I think it's 44 different versions of the communion of masculine and feminine is a kind of map of the very spectrum you're speaking of. Because the masculine and feminine are not merely interpenetrating, they're also interreceptive. So there's a kind of way in which they each embrace and hold the other at these various degrees of balance and dynamic communion. So it's not a static thing, it's not a gender parity thing at all. Mm -hmm. It's a very exciting dance, you know, like a quantum kind of wave dance between particleness and waveness. It's more like that. Mm. <laughs> I'm just marinating right now. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a, ta a, a sermon on, on this piece, so he's, it's right there for him. <laughs> well, I called I call the sermon God is Half Female as a provocative title, which of course is wrong. God is not either half male or half female, but it's more accurate to say that God is half female, half male, than to say that God is either male or female. Yeah. And, and, and so it moves us into this direction of recognizing this whole spectrum. Yeah, you begin with the language being contingent and yes. you know, saying, like, this language itself is inferior, but this is what we have to work with to get us. Well, and absolutely. And the last thing I'll say is that in, in Hinduism in particular, and implicit in the Kabbalah, um, is the union of masculine and feminine, which then dissolves you right out of duality altogether and into oneness with the Supreme Godhead. So in Hinduism, it's the deity Ardra Narishvara, which is half male and half female. So the separate Shiva and Parvati then merge. They merge together into one deity, which is half male and half female. And then that deity sort of merges into God beyond form. 
And so that's how you can see that the gender communion becomes a vehicle for the transcendent realization into oneness with the Supreme Godhead, Buddha or the Parabrahman in Hindu tradition, but you know, the Einsof in the Jewish tradition, the Godhead in the Christian tradition. So, so across the traditions, we see that that esoteric communion and the gender becomes a vehicle for that to actually happen. So speaking of, of languages for a moment and the, and the paucity of the English language to adequately uh, uh, encompass so many things, um, including gender, because we ha we've been given a limited set of pronouns that are operative in our language. Uh, let me ask you both a question that's a very practical one for our conference. Um, we would like to invite conference attendees the option of affixing a sticker to their name tag that identifies their own gender pronouns. And uh, we are going to, to create some in advance that can be she, her, or him, his, or they, them, or Z, or, and then blank ones as well. And folks can put more than one on there if they want. But I wonder if you could help folks for whom this is a little bit new and a little bit odd um, understand from your perspective why we might invite folks at an SDI conference to self-identify the pronouns that they want to use and why this might be understood as a gesture of hospitality. Um, do you want to take well, go ahead and start and then I'll fill in. Well, basically, sure. I, the, the reason is that, as you correctly said, that gender pronouns in our language are extremely limiting to the rigid binary of masculine and feminine, or itness, you know, the non-gendered uh, particle, whatever it's called, the and it. So anyway, um, and there are many people who do not fit, do not psychologically and spiritually feel identified with either of those pronouns, so they are actually excluded by the gender binary. And so the invitation is for us all to recognize that this is a limitation of our heritage, in our language, and in our cultural conditioning, that we are in the process of transcending right now. We are rapidly, the whole gender landscape is rapidly changing. I think there's 25 or 30 different gender identities that can, you can choose on Facebook. Even India, of all countries, when you apply for a visa, they give you male, female, or other as gender categories. Which other is problematic in itself, but at least they're recognizing there's more than just the two, right? And so people don't feel comfortable if they don't identify fully as a male or as a female being called him or her. Um, and so they are typically a transgender person, for example, who basically does not identify within the gender binary. Um, will often feel a combination of both masculine and feminine, and they literally feel this, and this is actually something that we all feel if we go into the depths of our own being, because we all contain these energies, both masculine and feminine within us. We are all a combination of both. And so a person who is a very conscious of, their, of this transgender identity will then often go by the pronouns of they and them and theirs. And so... It also helps people when you meet them, if you know what their gender pronoun is, you can be respectful of them and referring to them. And it also helps you understand that, you know, a transgender person does not wish to be referred to or projected upon as either he or she, 
nor do they appreciate you're trying to guess which they are. All of that comes from a traditional cultural conditioning. And by having the pronouns right there on their name tag, they, them, theirs, that makes it clear, okay, do not relate to this person as a he or a she, don't try to figure out which, and be sensitive to the fact that they're moving through a heteronormative cultural condition that we all are. And also by placing it on my name tag. So in my case, I would have he, him, his. Um, and if I was identified as a female a woman, I would probably have she, her, hers. By placing that on my name tag, I show, first of all, that I'm aware that I'm identifying in that particular identity, but I'm also aware that there are other identities outside of the gender binary that are also possible. So I am participating in the gender inclusive culture and by naming my gender as one of a whole spectrum of gender identities, rather than just having it be that my name is Will and therefore obviously I'm a man and there's nothing to even be said or noted about it, which is usually the implicit tyranny of the heteronormative culture. I would add that um, this is a great opportunity to get to know each other at another level and to, um, that's what I think SDI, at least at the at one level of the foundation of SDI, is to break down the barriers and to be an inclusive community. And so it it allows us into that unity with each other rather than othering or making assumptions about each other without knowing. So if we put it on our name tag and identify if that's our choice to do that, it opens up a whole new field of opportunity for us to get to know each other. And I would add also that um, for older folks in the community, it's an opportunity to get to know what your grandchildren or your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren are, are working with and what their world is like. I understand at universities now, at many universities, this is just common practice. And some parents are get, having to get kind of up to speed and used to it, and the kids too going into university that aren't familiar with it, of what the pronouns are all about. So it is part of our world. And so I think it's great that SDI is, is offering this. It's beautiful. It's such a natural bit to have both of you there to help us practice storytelling and hospitality to one another. I had not thought that like presenting one's gender as a he is like in itself as an act of hospitality and participation in a larger dialogue. Uh, I find that really helpful. Thank you. I, if, if I can add something just that I think would be good for um, people to know, um, and I'll quote, um, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice and corruption will never be transformed by keeping them hidden, but only by bringing them out into the light and confronting them with the power of love. And that is, in a nutshell, beautifully stated by him about what our work is about. It's about bringing whatever is part of our experience into the circle, if you will, the circle of participants that we'll be with at SDI in our session, bringing our stories, sharing, and, and sharing at the level that we feel comfortable knowing it's in a safe 
um, and I hear safe and brave container because sometimes these are these are um, vulnerable stories. So as Will said, everything's an invitation in our work. So come and try it out. Share what feels right to you and witness others and really listen to other people's stories around gender, around um, sexual sexuality and find out what what's happening here. What's been happening with this Me Too movement? Our title is Me Too to We Too, or Me Too to We Together, even. Um, because one thing that I've seen and witnessed in the Me Too movement, as important as all those stories are, and they are so important for those stories to be out in the public, it's been way too long that they've been kept secret and hidden and oppressed and suppressed. There's other stories there, and we need to hear the stories of men, too. And we need to hear the stories of people who do, don't identify within the binary, too. There's all these stories to bring forward and come out into the open and to, to hold that. Hold that with love, hold that with compassion, hold that with, with kind of a, a healing balm, if you will, that can because if we don't if we don't bring those stories forward we can never get to forgiveness we can never get to the place of really transforming these things and moving through them that in speaking of martin luther king that's what the whole freedom movement was about that's what his life work was about was bringing it out into the light naming these things in hopes of transforming them and it's part of the human condition, uh, truly, that I feel like we're called to, to really be in that place of, of speaking and being human together, if you will, speaking the truth of our experience, not with shame and blame, but just to be able to come in with the intention of healing, with creating a, the intention of creating safe space and being able to name it so we can really get to a place of a deeper respect and reverence of one another, a deeper love and loving kindness of each other. It's really clear that one one day uh, of this workshop will be a tragically short amount of time to drink from this fountain <laughs> of uh, of knowledge and experience and wisdom that the two of you bring. But um, some lucky folks out there will get to spend spend a day immersed in all of this, and it's important, and it's valuable, and it's relevant to the work that all of us are doing as we companion others along the, along the journey. That's beautiful, um, Frederica. And one thing I want to add to that is that we don't, as Will said earlier, we don't stay in the um, we don't stay in the 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 darkness, if you will, or the. The, the grief of the stories. We need to go there, touch into it. Then we come come out of that and we come into a place of honoring one another. And by the end of our day, um, after really listening to each other and sharing those stories, then we'll come into a place of honoring each other and, and, and ceremony, mm. through ceremony, through ritual, through worship and come into a place that we know that we probably haven't healed everything of thousands of years of these issues, but we've begun and we consecrate all that has been shared, all that's been spoken and, and come into a place of really 
um, holding that in an honoring space. I want to just also add a couple, another reason why this is so, so important for us to be doing this work at SDI and for spiritual directors, because we have implemented this work in a number of different religious communities and sanghas. And it is particularly powerful in that context because uh, as we said earlier, the, the, the religions all have in their scriptural teachings the mandate to actually heal this issue even though they often don't do a very good job. The institutions haven't done a great job. But what we have found incredibly powerful experiences working with people, uh, with religious leaders and seekers. Just a couple of examples. We worked extensively for some time with Catholic priests and, and nuns. And um, we do various different kinds of exercises, but the, but the powerful, the power of the healing that came between the priests and nuns was truly astounding. And uh, in one of the exercises that we do often, there is a process in which they actually enact what needs healing in their religious community. And we have a whole process for doing that, but what they came up with was astounding, including um, at one point, this whole dramatic enactment in which they welcomed and had a whole procession with the new Pope. And when the new Pope sort of finally came in the door, it was a woman. Um, you know, carrying the big cross. And so there was a whole, and of course everybody was roaring with laughter, but also with tears of joy around even enacting that. Um, they also had, they came up with this. They had priests on their knees receiving communion from nuns. So they were basically doing this kind of profound role reversal, which was a kind of healing experience for them uh, in, in within the Catholic kind of tradition. Um, we did one just a month ago with a group of clergy in Boston, a group of religious leaders um, from different churches in Boston. So these are mostly, you know, ministers and pastors. And it was really very moving. And as one of them described it afterwards, he wrote a whole blog post and he called it a glimpse of heaven. And he, he spoke about how what happened because towards the end, after doing the deep work, then there was this ceremony that the women created for the men and the men created for the women. And the men were quoting Isaiah and they did a whole thing of adorning the women with garments of praise that was so beautiful uh, and that actually made the women really feel the blessing of that powerful scripture and also that the men were offering from their hearts. And the women did a ceremony where there was this remarkable gateway that they led the men to. And when you got to the door, there was a sign that said, welcome back to Eden. And as this one man said, his heart leapt at the power of that and at the recognition that they were in the process of reclaiming the birthright between men and women that has been so lost. And this all came forth in a three-day intensive workshop. So we've seen this time and again. We've worked with Anglican communities. We've worked with Catholic communities. We've worked with Hindu communities in India, Zen Buddhist, uh, Zen Buddhist sanghas. I remember we had one uh, Zen monk uh, from, I forget which Eastern country. This was in the States, but he was from there. And at first he 
criticized the work. He said, this is such ridiculous reinforcement of the ego by telling our stories. We are reinforcing the ego's identification with the false self, essentially, uh, which is a legitimate point to make. But he hung in there, and by the end, on the third day, he was just so blown away. And he was the first to be rushing to place Kuan Yin at the center and this whole ceremony to honor the women as living embodiments and incarnations of Kuan Yin, which is what he was carrying in his heart, was so profound. So the, the religious communities of the world all have the potential for very profound healings of these issues if they would but go into the depth of the alchemy that's required. Most of them avoid it, but in this work we go into it. Yeah. Well, it's the work of spiritual direction, too. It's, right. It's to guide companions in, in that work of, of uh, discovering the true self. And this, the, you know, nothing less than transfer, the transformation that you are describing. And being liberated from the false self. And seeing oneself as participating in the greater community of life. It's Absolutely. so true, and and um, as I, one of the things we said on the um, one of the descriptors we gave on the announcement for our program at SDI was along the lines of if you are a spiritual companion and you have someone you're guiding through the Me Too um, times, what you know, how will this work help you? Kind of thing, and I think about. Um, the necessity of going through and sharing our own stories so that we can free ourselves from that and come to another place of just being heard and, and being able to let that go and be liberated by it. And in doing so as spiritual companions, then we can so much better, so much more easily and uh, lovingly and compassionately hold someone else that we're um, walking the journey with, I'd say. And if we're not doing that, it's kind of like a, a medical doctor. Um, from my understanding, most medical doctors have to go through almost every procedure they're doing on their patients so they know what they're going through. Um, and there's probably some limitations there. But it's the same sort of thing. As spiritual companions, we need to have as many experiences and opportunities to know what those we're walking with and guiding and, and sharing time with are going through. And this is an opportunity for spiritual companions to come in and share their lives and share their stories at the level they feel comfortable so that they can then glean that experience and go forward to be even better spiritual companions to those that they serve. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website at www.sdiworld.org. Thank you. 
blessings and peace on your day. And may you share blessings and peace to others. 